The Mary Celeste, an American half-brig of 282 tons, became a maritime legend a little past three o'clock on the afternoon of Wednesday, December 5, 1872. Her precise location was latitude 38.20 north, by longitude 17.15 west, due east of the Azores, and 591 miles from Gibraltar. At that point, she passed a British brigantine, the De Gracia. By a coincidence, later to occur to many people as just too incredible, its master, Captain David Reed Morehouse, had been the dinner guest of the master of the Mary Celeste, Captain Benjamin Spooner Briggs, the night before the American vessel had sailed from New York with a cargo of 1,700 barrels of commercial alcohol bound for Genoa. Morehouse therefore knew the destination of the Mary Celeste, and recognized her to be on course, although sailing in the wrong direction. What he had first thought to be a fluttering distress signal was a ripped, tattered sail. The wheel, unmanned and unsecured, spun with every fresh thrust of wind. Across the narrow gap separating them, Morehouse hailed his friend's ship. There was no response. "'What in God's name can have happened?' Morehouse asked first mate Oliver DeVoe. The question has been posed repeatedly over the past hundred years in an attempt to solve the mystery of the world's most famous ghost ship. Mutiny and murder was the attempted answer of Mr. Frederick Solly Flood, Attorney General and Admiralty Proctor of Gibraltar, the port to which a salvage crew from the De Gracia sailed the derelict. So convinced was the Attorney General of Crime, and that a chemical analyst had bungled an examination, that he suppressed for fourteen years a forensic report that stains on deck and upon a sword-blade were not blood. It was a conviction that caused him, within six weeks of the Mary Celeste's being found, to write in an official report to the Board of Trade in London. My own theory is that the crew got to the alcohol, and in the fury of drunkenness murdered the master, whose name was Briggs, his wife and child and the chief mate that they then damaged the bows of the vessel with the view of giving it the appearance of having struck on rocks or suffered a collision, so as to induce the master of any vessel which might have picked them up, if they saw her at some distance, to think her not worth attempting to save, and that they did some time between the 25th of November, the date of the last log entry, and the 5th December, escape on board some other vessel bound for some North or South American port or the West Indies. The British government accepted his view. On March 11, 1873, Sir Edward Thornton, British ambassador to Washington, passed on to the American administration evidence assembled in Gibraltar and asserted in his covering letter, You will perceive that the inquiries which have been initiated into the matter tend to rouse grave suspicion that the master and his wife and child were murdered by the crew. Responding to the British government's belief, U.S. Secretary to the Treasury, William A. Richardson, circularized customs officials throughout the United States on March 14th, instructing them to look out for any ship carrying the alleged murderers to America. Captain James Winchester, principal owner of the Mary Celeste, fled Gibraltar after giving evidence at an inquiry because he feared the official determination to prove a crime. To the U.S. Consul in Gibraltar, Horatio Jones Sprague, Captain Winchester wrote from the safety of New York on March 10, 1873, that he had quit the colony after being convinced by a friend there that the judge and attorney general intended arresting him for hiring the crew to murder their officers. Captain Winchester wrote that although the supposition was ridiculous, from what you and everybody else in Gibraltar had told me about the attorney general, 
I did not know but he might do it, as they seem to do just as they like. In such a fertile atmosphere of fear, suspicion, and preconception, where innuendo became evidence and facts that didn't fit were blatantly concealed, the conjecture blossomed. Four years before creating the legendary Sherlock Holmes, a Portsmouth doctor named Arthur Conan Doyle earned thirty pounds for a short story purporting to be the account of a surviving passenger, J. Habakkuk Jeffson.